Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you. If not, it'll be up on the screen, but I always encourage you to turn in your Bible. You don't want to get out of that practice of being able to move through the Scriptures and find those places. Some of you may have different translations from the one we're using, which is the New King James. 1 John 4, we're actually going to cover one verse today. If we were to try to cover more, it would, it would take us too much time this morning. So I want to hone in and zero in on verse 17, which we actually started looking at week before last. But I want to dig deeper into that verse. So much of the message today will be Scripture. And that's okay because Pastor Chuck Smith always used to say the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Let's read that verse. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Let's pray. Father God, as we take time now to explore this one verse, we know there's much there that we can learn. We ask that you would cause your Holy Spirit to teach us, lead us into all truth, impart to us that information that you would have us to Receive today, and we ask you to implant your word deep within our hearts and minds, that it would have a transforming effect upon us. As we study it together, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is where we left off last time. Love has been perfected among us in this. But I want to read this again as I read last time from the NIV, because there are some times when I really... Now again, there's an older version... of the, of the NIV that came out in the 70s. That's the one I use. There's a new version that's gotten kind of liberal and gender neutral and all this stuff. So be careful if you do reference or utilize the NIV. Make sure it's the original version. Because so many of the translations, even ones that were at one time good, are now being watered down and, in my opinion, polluted, perverted. So we use primarily the New King James, but when I believe that another translation makes the verse more understandable, I will use it. I'm not a legalistic, hardcore King James only guy, but really when, uh, when in doubt, that's the one to turn to. Most reliable translation of all. King James and the New King James. New American Standard is actually good. And like I said, the original NIV, so be very careful. There's some very flaky translations and paraphrases out there today. Here it is in the NIV. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. So what we're learning here in this passage is John is teaching us that loving one another, it's loving one another that causes God's love to be made complete among us. Each one of us can individually be recipients of God's love. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, John 3.16. When you acknowledge what Christ has done for you on the cross, that He died on the cross to save you from your sins, to save you from the eternal fires of hell, and give you the precious gift of eternal life, you have become a recipient of His love. 
But John says for that love to be complete among us, because again, throughout the New Testament, the writers, the apostles and others who were involved and engaged in writing the books of the New Testament, everything had to do with the body of Christ, the church, how we interact with one another. For God's love to be made complete among us, then we have to be about the business of loving one another. We've, that's been what we've been talking about for several weeks, agape, God's unconditional love. That's what sent Jesus to the cross because none of us deserve what he did for us, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of our good works are like filthy rags in God's sight. Agape is unconditional love. No strings attached. And that's the love that Christ displayed for us on the cross. Now that's what we're also called to have towards one another. Agape, unconditional love. But let's be honest, a lot of times our love has some conditions attached, doesn't it? It's not supposed to. But because we are flawed human beings, sometimes it does. But the, the goal is to get past that to where we no longer have strings attached that we love as Jesus loves. We sang that song, I want to walk like Jesus walks, talk like Jesus talks, and so forth. And that's kind of the core of the message today. The title is, As He Is. And we see here that John is saying, this is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment in this world, we are like Jesus. Apparently, depending on how we live here on planet Earth in this present life, it's possible that even as believers, when we see Jesus face to face, when we see God face to face, John seems to be indicating here that it's possible that some of us may be embarrassed or ashamed because of what we have done or not done here on the earth. Again, we're not talking about being sent to hell, being rejected for our sins. If we've confessed our sins to God and repented of them, we're washed in the blood of Christ, we're forgiven. But at the same time, it seems that it's going to be possible for some of us, maybe a lot of us, to be somewhat lacking in confidence when we stand before the Lord. And you've probably noticed this, that even... Now, there are, there are some believers, there are some segments of the church that believe and teach that in order to be truly saved, you have to be really, really good. You have to do good works. Salvation by works. The only problem that I just quoted several passages that indicate that's not possible. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of our good works are like filthy rags in God's sight. All we like sheep have gone astray. If you could be good enough to earn salvation, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. And he would have been perfectly happy not to have done it. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, right? He knew there was no other way. There was no hope for mankind, for the human race, unless Jesus became the perfect sacrifice 
on the cross of Calvary. So sadly, various so-called Christian groups, denominations, are operating under this mistaken belief that it's their good works that will get them into heaven. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. But then there's another danger for those on the other side who do understand, wait a minute, no, I can never be good enough to deserve salvation. It's a free gift from God. But then some abuse that. Well, since I can't earn it, never could, never would, it's, it's a free gift, then basically I can just live however I want and everything is hunky-dory, right? Because I'm saved by grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. means you don't deserve it. But Paul warned about that too. He said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Therefore, should I just keep sinning? Because in man, I'll get more grace. He said, no. God forbid. The goal is to be like Jesus, who was and is the perfect sinless Son of God. In this life, we're never going to make it all the way. But there's an old book called The Pilgrim's Progress. You ever heard of that one? Fantastic, amazing book. And that's, that's our life in Christ, Pilgrim's Progress. We're walking the road, traveling down the pathway to eternity, hopefully, little by little, becoming more like Jesus every day. And sometimes... We trip, we fall, we stumble. But that's the goal. So either side is dangerous. The salvation by works side obviously is extremely dangerous. It's never going to happen. And so people live these miserable lives of legalism. And Jesus warned the people about the Pharisees, the legalistic religious leaders of Israel, putting all these burdens on the backs of the people that even the Pharisees themselves could not bear. That's not what God has for us. That's not, not the abundant life of John 10.10. 10. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. The yoke is what they use on the oxen. Remember, to steer the oxen. God wants us to be under his yoke, not the yoke of men. Sadly, many people are under that yoke of men. Man-made rules and regulations, legalism... And man, I tell you, that makes people miserable. And how are people going to know God or want to know God if they see people who identify as followers of Christ and they're just going through life with this heavy burden, beat down, bummed out? That's not what God has for us. But at the same time, how are we going to win people to Christ if we're abusing our liberty and we're saying, well, I'm saved by grace, man, so I'm going to get down now. And get funky. There's a balance. We don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. So we need to be concerned about this. I'm not sure. Now the people who are in the works mentality, the, the idea of being able to stand before God with confidence, they're not even confident now let alone when they stand before God. And I was going to mention this, that oftentimes when we are not walking with God the way we should be, and we know it, right? And the Holy Spirit, that's His job to 
make sure we know it. Well, then sometimes even though we know we're saved by grace through faith, we know that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hands. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'll never leave you or forsake you. When we're not living rightly, our confidence begins to evaporate, doesn't it? And the enemy will come in and say, you know, I don't know. I don't think you're really saved, man. You know, how, look at the way you're living. God's not going to accept you. You ever heard that voice? So we know, we already have a taste of what it's like to be lacking in confidence before the Lord. The good news is all we have to do is confess, repent, be restored into right relationship. But there all should be a, also should be a concern that I'm not sure that many believers are concerned about. We're just looking forward to seeing Jesus. Amen? Amen. But, according to John, it's apparently possible that when we stand before him, we not, might not be as confident as we would like to be and he would like us to be. Another verse that backs this up, 1 John 2.28, which we studied weeks and weeks ago. And now, little children, abide in him, live in him every day, not just on Sunday morning. Abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Again, let me point out, this is not, John is not speaking about a judgment for sins. That's the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. That's the judgment you don't want to be on the wrong end of. According to Revelation 20, we will be there with Christ, participating in that judgment of the wicked. You don't want to be on the other side of that one. But this judgment that John is referring to is called the Bema Seat Judgment. And in a moment, I'll give you some details about the Bema Seat. But I want to read 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. Paul says, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of our faith. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, notice the difference between the first three and the last three. Gold, silver, and precious stones cannot be burned. Wood, hay, and straw can each one's work will become clear for the day, the big D day, when Jesus calls us to be with him. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the Bible, God is revealed as a God of fire. He's a fiery God. For the righteous, it's a great thing. For the wicked, it's not so great. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. It's not talking about salvation. The New Testament talks about various crowns that will be given out. Also in the millennial kingdom, various jobs and responsibilities. I'll make a ruler over five cities, ruler over ten cities. There will be many rewards and responsibilities in God's kingdom. We won't just be laying on a cloud playing a harp or an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar. 
If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, feel the burn, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So it's not about salvation, it's about reward. But you don't want your friend walking up to you, hey man, good to see you, welcome. What's that smell? It smells like a campfire. <laughs> hey, what's that black mark on the back of your robe, bro? What happened? Oh, that's just my works being burned up. And so again, yes, no matter what, we're going to be glad just to get there, right? But again, it would be better if we weren't embarrassed or ashamed. And God's giving us a little bit of a warning here. Hey, if you want things to go really well when you get here, then you need to be working on it here now in this life. Because you're saved by grace, you're still going to get in, but, again, there may be a little um, fire damage. I was reminded of a passage that we read a couple of weeks ago, which again addresses this issue. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, agape, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And I mentioned the last time I read this, that in some groups, some Christian groups, if you don't speak in tongues, then they don't consider you to be saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that it's a blessing to be able to pray in the Spirit, communicate with God on a deeper, higher level. But Paul says, hey, even if I do that, and I don't have love, it's just a bunch of noise. Though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith. Wow. All everything, huh? All mysteries, all knowledge, all faith. That is somebody that within the local church, man, would be looked up to, idolized. So that I could remove mountains but have not love. I'm nothing. So this gives us an idea of the kind of works that... Paul is talking about in the previous passage. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, becoming a martyr, get laying down my life even for Christ, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So anything done with, in, by, and through the love of God, and again, sometimes people do the right things for the wrong reasons, right? And we can be self-deceived into thinking, man, we are, we're really pretty cool. We're pretty great. Here, look what I've done. But if it's not done with agape love as the catalyst, the energizer, the motivator, then according to Paul, it's meaningless. It's worthless. It profits me nothing. In fact, as you go to 1 Corinthians, the very end of chapter 12... Chapter 12, Paul's been talking all about the gifts of the Spirit, which are given to every member of the body of Christ. It would be a gift of teaching, a gift of prophecy, so on and so forth. Healing. My Uncle Fred, some of you know him, he's with the Lord now. He had a ministry in healing. He had a, a gifting and an anointing. When he prayed for people, they got healed. It's a real gift. Not everybody has it. 
But God has given to every member of the body of Christ, some it's the gift of compassion, mercy, helps, administration. Those are gifts given by God to each member of the body of Christ. But then, at the end of chapter 12, Paul says, and now I show you the most excellent way, better than gifts, is agape, which is the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that we have to develop. It grows up within us as we mature in Christ. And since Nancy Missler, Chuck Missler's wife, they're both with the Lord now, many years ago she wrote a great book called The Way of Agape, based upon 1 Corinthians 13. The most excellent way. Gifts are great. God gives them to us so we can minister to one another. They're not for our own upbuilding. See how cool I am? I can speak in tongues. Whatever the gift is, it's given to help others to minister to one another. But the most excellent way is when those gifts are undergirded and energized and empowered by agape, love. In fact, Paul says without the love, it's just a bunch of noise. Romans 14.10, speaking of this judgment seat. But why do you judge your brother, writes Paul, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, we, believers, this is not the great white throne judgment. This is not a judgment for sin. This is a judgment for what we've done with the salvation that he's given us. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So see, when you got saved, maybe you thought, wow, sure glad I don't have to go to that great white throne judgment. But there is a judgment seat for believers and that's where this idea of being confident or perhaps being embarrassed, ashamed, comes in. We don't think about this too much, but obviously it's important or God would not have put it in the scriptures. So for those believers who make a profession of faith, they receive Christ, confess their sins, born again, filled with the Spirit and so forth, but then go on to live their lives according to their own game plan, their own desires, without including God, I think that's a bit of a problem. Paul uses the athletic analogy. Let's look at this um, rest of this verse. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, bima means judgment. The word was taken from the Isthmian Games, where the contestants would compete for the prize under the careful scrutiny of judges who would make sure that every rule of the contest was obeyed. 2 Timothy 2.5, also if anyone competes in athletics, says Paul, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Sometimes believers think, well, the rules don't apply to me. God gave me special permission to break them. Really? I don't think so. 
The victor of a given event who participated according to the rules was led by the judge to the platform called the bima. There the laurel wreath was placed on his head as a symbol of victory. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable prize, crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So he's saying, man, if these folks are putting this much effort into competing for something that's temporary, how much more should we be putting our every effort into competing for an eternal reward? So in these various passages, Paul is picturing the believer as a competitor, competitor for a spiritual contest. And even as the victorious Grecian athlete appeared before the Bema to receive his perishable award, so the Christian will appear before Christ's Bema to receive his imperishable crown or award. The judge at the Bema bestowed rewards to the victors. He did not whip or punish the losers. Neither did he sentence them to hard labor. In other words, it's a reward seat that portrays a time of rewards or loss of rewards following examination. It's not a time of punishment where believers are judged for their sins. That would be inconsistent with the finished work of Christ on the cross because he totally paid the penalty for our sins. So we get to this next part of verse 17. So that we will have boldness or confidence on the day of judgment. In other words, God does not want us to stand before him feeling like a kid who just came home with a report card filled with F's. Uh, hopefully none of you have ever experienced that, but we've probably all experienced bringing home a report card that was not what we had hoped it would be, not what our parents had hoped it would be. And sometimes we tried to hide the report card. Well, Johnny, where's your report card anyway? Didn't they give those out about a week ago? Oh, gee, Mom, I don't know. I think I dog ate it. Right? <laughs> Picture that, though. You bring a report card home filled with F's. You're probably not going to be real confident. I don't think there's going to be any rewards this time. You know, sometimes parents, grandparents, and others will say, you know what, Johnny? For every A, I'm going to give you $10. Right? Ever done that? Well, Johnny brings home the report card full of F's. I don't think he's going to be thinking, man, I can't wait to get the dough. I can't wait to get out the back door. You know, mom and dad still love him or her, but he or she isn't getting any ice cream, that's for sure. Have you ever had to watch others enjoy dessert while you looked on? These are some of the analogies that can kind of give us a little bit of a sense of what it would be like to stand before God and be less than confident, embarrassed, ashamed, because you see, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, tells us that when we see him, we will know him even as we are known. Right now we have a tremendous capacity and ability to be blind to our own shortcomings, don't we? You know? All the guys look in the mirror and they think they're Brad Pitt. <laughs> or if you're older, maybe Robert Redford, the way he used to look. 
You know what I mean? Gals, you probably have your certain female role models, if you will, that you, you look in the mirror, wow, I look just like Catherine Zeta-Jones. You know? You know what I'm saying? And we do that with other things too, not just physical appearance. We have a tremendous capacity and ability to downplay our shortcomings or sins, if you will. Oh, that's just a little teeny tiny sin, right? And uh, fortunately, if you're a Protestant, we don't believe in mortal sins, so yeah, we're okay there, right? But when we see him face to face, everything is going to become crystal clear. And in a moment, in an instant, you're going to be able to see every area that you fell short. Think about that. And amazingly, God will still love you. He will still welcome you into his kingdom. But he's going to get out his little heavenly bick. He's going to flick the bick and see what burns. And if there's any gold, silver, or precious stones in there, then there will be a reward. 1 John 2.28. I'm going to read it again. Now, little children, abide. Live in him. And this is a big part of the answer, folks. It's not just a Sunday-only relationship with God. Or maybe if you're really spiritual, Sunday and Thursday. We have our midweek on Thursday nights. Pretty small group. It's not just a Sunday-only, Sunday-Thursday, men's prayer, women's Bible study. It's a lifestyle. It's every day, day and night, week in and week out, 24-7. Abide if we abide. Little children, abide in him, live in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him. I don't think most of us think much about that. We just think about how great it's going to be to see Jesus, but it'll be even better if we're not ashamed, wouldn't you say? Because as he is, so are we in this world. Or as the NIV puts it, because in this world we are like him. But are we? Are we like him? You see, folks, our number one goal in this life should be to be like Jesus. Because we can't be what those around us need us to be. We can't be the husband that our wives need us to be. We can't be the wife that our husbands need us to be. I'm speaking, you know. We can't be the parents that our children need us to be. The kids can't be the kids that the parents need them to be because even at a young age, you still have responsibilities to begin to grow, mature, behave, act appropriately, be obedient to your parents. That's biblical. None of us can be who those around us need us to be if we're not like Jesus. What are the, some of the qualities and characteristics we think of when we think of Jesus? He's loving, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's kind, he's truthful. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Look down the list. In fact, I'm going to read it. And if you put Jesus' name there in place of love, in place of agape, it fits like a glove. Love suffers long. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. 
Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. You see how this works? Now try putting your name in. That's like a big owie. Ouch. Love, agape, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, Jesus, never fails. Our goal, folks, should be to be able to put our name in each one of these and have it fit. I don't know about you guys, I still have a long way to go. Praise God, he's not finished with me, he's not done with me, he hasn't given up on me. But I confess before you and God, I have a long way to go. But we have to keep trying, we have to keep working at it, do we not? Press on. So to the extent that we can say in this life, we followed in the footsteps of Jesus. And by the way, the good news is, Whatever happened prior to your life in Christ doesn't count, doesn't matter. It's a brand new beginning when you receive Jesus. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, the devil may try to come back and remind you of some of the old stuff. You just got to tell him to take a hike. That was the old me. This is the new me. I've been born again. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. So take it somewhere else. To the extent that we can say in this life we've followed in the footsteps of Jesus, I believe that's the extent to which we will be confident when we stand before God at the Bema seat. Make no mistake, we will all have to stand there. Again, it has nothing to do with salvation, praise God. It has to do with reward. It has to do with not being embarrassed when we stand before the Father. It has nothing to do with our salvation, but it has everything to do with the rewards we will receive or the rewards we will not receive. Now, eternal rewards might not seem very important to us here and now, but I can guarantee you, based on what I see in God's Word, it's going to be really important to us when we stand before the Lord. And God has graciously given us the information we need so we know the direction we ought to take. What should be our game plan? What should be our goal? It's to be like Jesus. As he is. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your salvation. Lord, you are amazing. We have so much to be thankful for. But we know that you do hold us to a higher standard as believers we are new creatures in Christ. We've been filled with your Holy Spirit. And so there should be fruit coming forth in our lives. Lord, sometimes we quench that. We stop that process or we slow it down by the things we do and the things we don't do. But Lord, we ask you to help us. Help us to really make our number one goal to be like Jesus so that your love can be made complete among us. And we can reach the lost for Christ. Lord, please help us and forgive us for taking our salvation for granted. Lord, what you have done for us is amazing and it needs to be shared. There are many lost people out there in this world who need to know you. 
And Lord, they're not going to know you unless we step up to the plate and start acting like Jesus. Please help us, Father. Thank you for your patience. But Lord, help us to press on towards that high mark of the calling in Christ Jesus. To not look back, not having put our hand to the plow. Help us to look straight ahead. Keep our eyes on you, Lord. Help us to willingly take upon your yoke because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who uh, may not know you. Maybe they're religious, maybe they're not. But as we're all standing here with eyes closed and heads bowed, there may be some, Father, who realize, you know what? I know about God, but I don't really know God. But I'd like to know God. I pray that you might draw them by your spirit that they might come forward today and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, for others maybe who have drifted, gotten off the path, gone astray, lost sheep. Lord, you left the 99 and you went out and you searched for the lost sheep and you brought that sheep back into the fold. Lord, if there's anyone here today like that, I pray that you would draw them by your spirit that they would come and recommit their life to Christ. And Lord, for anyone who uh, just has a deep yearning and longing to really see that agape love really well up and swell up inside of them and touch those around them, Lord, they might want a special prayer today as well. Lord, all those who need ministry, draw them by your spirit in these closing moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.